been so high in my life. The category is Butch Queen, Butch Queen, Butch Queen, first time in drags at a ball. Hey everybody, welcome to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio today, I have film reviews editor at The Wrap, Alonzo Duralde. Hello, Alonzo. Hola, Ricky. Mucho gusto, señor. And I have with me April Wolf. Hey, April, how are you? Hi. Good to see you. Uh, we were Today we're going to be talking about the movie Suburbicon. Looking forward to that. We are also going to be uh, discussing the what has been coming out recently. Recently, uh, Alonzo just came up. We, we should have a segment called This Week in Groping. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about the Kevin Spacey allegations that are coming out. But before we get all to that, let's... Uh, Let's talk about what's good in the world <laughs> for us, even though it is hard right now to find out what is good for us. Alonzo, what's good with you, bro? Halloween candy is on sale this week, mm. and that's good. <laughs> April, what's good with you? I got to say the 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 shining little bit of joy, a sliver of joy in my life right now is uh, the World Series. And however this turns out, um, I think that the Dodgers being in the World Series is fucking fantastic because it is a, a team that actually brings this whole city together. Every walk of life is like, yeah, go Dod- yeah, go Dodgers. Like like it's 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 fantastic to see. Yeah. I feel well, so happy when I look in the stands. <laughs> Ricky, what's good? Well, thank you for asking, Alonzo. What's good is yesterday was Halloween and I did not dress up for Halloween, but the beautiful thing about LA is if you don't dress up uh, for Halloween, the locations that you go to will dress up uh, and become a spot. The fat sales in my neighborhood became McDowell's from Coming to America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. Oh, and I went to it, and uh, there was ha- Prince Hakeem's walking around. <laughs> oh. My favorite was, I mean, it's just beautiful to see uh, 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 to see black people walking around in, in tuxes and, and lions draped <laughs> over them in crowns. <laughs> it was uh, it was great. It was great. <laughs> well, uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, our first segment of the show, It a Dick. Uh, if you haven't listened before, It a Dick is where I will read a news blurb or a headline, and I will ask my two panelists here uh, two very simple questions. Is this important, and do you care? So let's just go ahead and get right on into it. Uh, the Los Angeles Times is reporting this week that six women, including Olivia, Olivia Munn and Natasha Henstridge, have accused director Brett Ratner of sexual harassment and misconduct. Brett Ratner, he is most known for directing all of the Rush Hour movies. Oh, is this important? Do you care? Everyone knew this. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, like, he's an editor. He had to edit, like, a doc that, um, of... Brett Ratner's work like years ago and he was just like oh yeah that guy's a sexual predator like he knew <laughs> just like watching him walk around was like everyone knows that this is what he is he, who he, he is he definitely made a big to do over being sort of the protege of Robert Evans so yes. like <laughs> yeah you just it, it's not no one's shocked here yeah the LA Times article is great for shading him with like naming all of his friends he's like and he's also great friends with James Toback. And Roman Polanski. And Roman Polanski. <laughs> and listed their crimes. And you're like, ah, yes, I see. If everybody doesn't know, James Franco is directing and starring in the new film, The Disaster Artist. This movie is about the making of one of the worst films of all time, The Room. In the movie, uh, Franco plays Tommy Wiseau, the real-life weirdo who directed The Room. And by weirdo, I think you mean genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At a recent Q&A, we learned that instead of breaking character in between, 
Halloween takes, Franco stayed in character, prosthetics and all, while directing the entire movie. To get a sense of that experience, here's a clip of Franco playing Tommy Wiseau. So there's this guy, Johnny, a true American hero, to be played by me. He has it all. Good luck, many friends. And also, maybe Johnny is vampire. We'll see. Is this important? Do you care? <laughs> I, I cannot <laughs> wait to see this movie. Uh, I, I was an early adopter on The Room. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a fascinating subject matter. I love the book, The Disaster Artist. The audio book, I highly recommend. Greg Sestero reads the whole thing and does a killer Tommy Wiseau impersonation himself, which makes it that much more entertaining. But, yeah, I mean, I, I you know... Franco directs a lot, and a lot of the movies that he directs, most of you will never see. But this one sounds like he really kind of nailed something. And, and yeah, if you're going to have to put on the Tommy Wiseau makeup on a daily basis anyway, you might as well just direct the whole movie as him. I have seen this movie twice so far. Um, You've seen The Disaster already twice? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I'm, I'm doing a cover uh, story for L.A. Weekly oh, nice. on um, The Disaster Artist. And... Uh, I have been living this movie for a whole, like a while for research, and I have to say it's really fucking good, and it it's it's a it's a fantastic movie, and he did a great job. And so, if he needs to be in character to do this, maybe he should direct all of his future films as Tommy. Wiseau. Yeah, maybe he, maybe he feel like maybe he got into that like his headspace and just finally made a good movie. You know, like because he's not he doesn't make a lot of great movies. It's like. Uh, movie chain Regal Cinemas has taken a page out of Uber's book and plans on introducing surge pricing. Regal is calling it a demand-based pricing, and what this means is that moviegoers will pay less for smaller movies at non-peak hours and more for popular movies at busy times. Is this important? Do you care? The idea of paying extra to see a blockbuster in like a primetime slot sounds kind of crazy. But I kind of like the idea of cheaper tickets to a dud, Mm. just because I think that maybe somebody would, you know, because so many people will go to the movie theater and, like, stare at the times and be like, which should I, which is that one? I don't know. Uh, And and so, you know, I think if a movie is failing, like, it might give it a little boost for people to go, oh, that one's only $4 and the other one is, you know, $7.50? Great. I'll see the the turd, you know? (laughs) And and, because sometimes the underperforming movie is the good one, you know? That happens all the time. Yeah, I like the idea that maybe it can bring people who weren't even going to the theater where they're just like, yo, dude, I heard they've got $4 tickets. Yeah, I love the bargain. (laughs) Like, I'm going to take a date to, like, this really weird movie that no one's heard of. I I think it's great. There's a war going on between DC and fans of Marvel. uh, And James Gunn is trying to just get some peace between everybody here. In a Twitter thread, Gunn wrote, You guys are never going to convince each other. It's just a bunch of wasted energy. As Marvel and DC super fans, you have way more in common with each other than you do with the rest of the world. So why do you spend so much time raging at each other? It's silly. Please, just... Stop it. Stop engaging in that way. Is this important? Do you care? Have you ever been involved in politics or, you know, community activism? It's much easier to tear at each other than it is to take on your common enemies. You know, so... That guy in the Warriors had the really great idea that if all the gangs would get together against the NYPD, they would outnumber them. But no, that guy got killed, and then they had to blame the Warriors for it, and then they spent the whole movie trying to get home. 
So yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think the, 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 I think nerds would rather rage at each other than like you know bond against. I don't even know who their current and common enemy is. They they won. It's, yeah, they're they're the leaders of the pack, right? Isn't yep. that the? Yes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, they're running the show right now. Nerds <laughs> are running the show. Nerds could take a page from Cyrus's book. There you go. And learn how to work together. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, a uh, girls trip actress. Girls Trip actress that feels that feels way too formal because I know Tiffany, uh, comedian <laughs> Tiffany Haddish, <laughs> star good of Girls, yes. good friend, Tiffany star Haddish. of Girls Trip, uh, found time in her schedule to star in a PSA that was released this week about washing your hands after using the bathroom. Let's take a listen. Please, world, wash your hands, please, because you never know when I'll be watching. Oh yeah, I see you. Mm-hmm. I can see you. Wash your hands. Tiffany would want to know, is you ready? And I want to know, is this important and do you care? I don't know. I'll watch her do anything. <laughs> She's funny. I, I think this might have been more effective if she had worked the worked the phrase booty hole into it. But <laughs> even given without that, uh, yeah, I'm in. We're going we're gonna to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about Suburbicon. Hey there, folks. I'm writer and performer Dave Holmes, and I host International Waters, where we pair a team of comedians in L.A. against a team of comedians in London in a pop culture trivia battle royale. Comedians like Chris Fairbanks. I have a a metal hip. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How's that going? I'm part uh, robot. You're more machine than man. It feels great. I'm mostly man still. Okay. (laughs) That depends on where I'm at, though. Lauren Lapkus. But I do think if you're working with dead bodies all day, maybe a dog would be more appealing than marrying a man. Yeah, right. Like, it's like, oh, this is going to get really sad at some point. So maybe I'll just marry a dog and always replace it. A lot of cuddling. A lot of cuddling. And many more. Join us every other week on International Waters with me, Dave Holmes. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. With me, I have April Wolf and Alonzo Duralde. This week, we are talking about Suburbicon. Let's go ahead and take a listen to a clip from the movie. Any progress on the investigation? A mobster got killed a couple of days ago. I can end the conversation real quick. Sorry for his loss. Of life? Yeah, I guess he probably is too. April, can I ask you for... (laughs) You're already shaking your head. April, can you break down this movie for us, please? Yeah. (laughs) There's a... God, it's so fucked up. There's a a black family that moves into a, a neighborhood called Suburbicon with all white people in the 1950s. Then um, Matt Damon. You're already talking about a movie that I would rather see. Yeah, right. <laughs> so right. that movie's in there. But then forget that. And then <laughs> and then Matt Damon and his family um, live like uh, next door behind this family. And uh, Matt Damon and um, uh, his his uh, sister-in-law um, conspire to kill his wife. So they can um, live off of insurance and and um, and be happy together, but it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> they hire 
these two bumbling killers um, to come and kill the the mother so no one knows what happened. But the little boy ends up catching on and he starts kind of unraveling this little mystery, kind of. Um, There's a lot of supporting characters that don't really make any sense being there. It's a lot of things happening. Matt Damon might be an evil person in this. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and that is Suburbicon, you know? That, no, that's it. That's it. It start, It was very quickly, I started shaking my head going, oh, I don't know. I don't think this movie knows what it's doing right now. No. no. I was the only person in my theater today. The only. It was just well, me. Yeah. Several weeks ago, this was even like, no, well, this would be the, the movie of the weekend that we should be talking about, you know, Suburbicon. Yeah. And apparently it is the lowest grossing wide release in the history of Paramount. Pictures, wow. Which means that it did even worse than monster trucks. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, just saying. What are they doing? Uh, yeah, I saw this movie uh, when it was doing the festival circuit a couple months ago. And, yeah, it, it just – it is so – not knowing what it wants to be or do. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it tries to be this sort of like wacky – Cohen Brothers, who wrote the first draft of this, like, you know, incompetent crime farce crossed with, like, race statement about, you know, the 1950s crossed with little kid who knows a terrible thing but no one will believe him thriller. And it just none of none of those things play out well and they clash with each other. Yeah. There's movies that are there's movies about race that are told from the white person's perspective. And then there's movies uh, about race that has uh, a black person as the main character, but still told from the white person's Mm. perspective. And then there's movies like this one where there's just no perspective to it at all. I didn't know whose story I should be. I mean, I obviously knew whose story I should be paying attention to, but I didn't know. Like, they all seem like they were fighting for a spot that none of them really kind of earned, you know? The tone is all over the place. This is this is a bad directing. This is like not even just the script. This is really terrible directing. There are scenes that go on for far too long that give us nothing and the tone uh like the music will just kind of blare over all of it. Oh, yeah. There's the just movie, so yeah. much music. It's writing a check that the movie cannot cash. Yeah. Um, it's like, Alexander Diplock. Yeah, it's like trying to make it like really, um, really dramatic. But it, in these characters should be funnier than they are, mm. but yeah. they're not. And then it feels like everything fell flat. And you can't help but judge it against any kind of Coen brother flick. Sure, yeah. So, yeah. Although they have written some... Uh, they, they wrote a movie a few years ago called Gambit that was so terrible that it barely opened here and it starred Cameron Diaz and Colin Firth. It was a remake of a great sort of 60s farce. And and I think now with that movie and this movie it's sort of like, if the Coen brothers write a script and then walk away from it <laughs> maybe there's a reason why. Yeah, there's a, like, to me this felt like an elaborate practical joke that they played on George Clooney. <laughs> like, it really did. I was just like, oh my god, they like gave this script to him and were like, yeah. <laughs> you should direct yeah, it. Yeah, you should direct it. Good. Do you, do, you, uh, do you guys think that George Clooney is a bad director? Because I, I, I like George Clooney. I'm a fan. George, I, th- I'm, I think you're down, and I'm glad that you're down for the cause. 
but this is a bad movie. I think he's diminishing as a director, oddly enough. You would think yeah. that, like, with more movies under his belt, he'd get more confident. Yeah. But, like, he came out of the gate with Confessions of a Dangerous Mind that I thought was actually quite good and didn't, not a lot of people saw it. But it was, you know, Charlie Kaufman's script, and I thought it had a, a weird energy to it, and it was fun. And then Good Night and Good Luck was a little on the stodgy side, but, you know, he has an affection for that sort of old school, like, you know, golden age of television sort of feeling like you know didn't he do that live like um oh he did uh, mutiny on yeah, tv uh, or? it's it's not k mutiny it's it's the other one that's like about like a fail, fail, safe. fail, safe. fail safe. thank you yes. yes and so uh you know so that, that it fit into that kind of thing but then after that it was like leatherheads was a mess oh. uh, yeah. monuments men was terrible eyes of march was okay but the play is better and the movie builds on it in a way that's not all that interesting um, so, yeah, I feel like he, the more movies he makes, the worse a filmmaker he becomes. Yeah, it, it, I was initially like, oh, no, George Clooney, is, he's a real good director. And then I was like, oh, I've only seen Good Night and Good Luck. <laughs> and I've been told to watch Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. And then every trailer to a movie that he had coming out after that, I was always like, eh, not that one, George. I'm going to wait for the next one. Mm, not that one. I'm going to wait for the next and one. And the thing is, I still remember in the... 80s, I think, was sort of the golden age of let's make fun of Eisenhower era post-war suburban values and how it was this sort of gleaming facade under which everything was despicable. Like Blue Velvet is out of that tradition. Uh, there's a great Bob Balaban horror movie, Parents. Um you know, uh, 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 moving into the '90s, you had like Pleasantville. Like, there's mm-hmm. been that's we've we've been down this road before. And this movie, as much as it does indulge in the sort of delicious art direction of a movie set in that era, because everything looked great, even Fantastic. though life was shit, unless you were like a straight white Christian rich guy. Um, you know, the cars and the coffee cups and all that stuff—it's all great. But but the idea of finding some kind of ironic counterpoint that like behind all these like you know white picket fences and beautifully mown lawns is you know discontent and racism and whatever else yawn yeah you know we know we know we know because the movies have been telling us this for a good 30 years now but it seems like i mean that's probably what he discovered as he was making it (laughs) you know because then he's like oh i guess i'm gonna spend most of my time on this white family and this murder like maybe i'll do that because i can't find anything new to say about there are are genuinely like race riots happening in the background yeah yeah it's it's like kind of hilarious (laughs) but but not not maybe funny in the way that he wanted it to be um but I, I, it's just such a mess. It's hard to sort through. I really was just like, oh, I'm just going to check Twitter while I'm watching this. <laughs> well, I, I wish we were I could alone. Have, so, yeah. I was alone. And they almost didn't even play the film because like, like, no one had shown up and I showed up exactly <laughs> at the start time. And they were like, oh, you're here for that? And they're like, oh, I guess, I guess we'll play it. One second. <laughs> I, went to, I went to go see it at the Arclight. And you know, before, before movies start at the Arclight oh, Theater, the comes out. Yeah, they, yes, yeah. they cut the person off. They were just like, we're starting the movie. We're, we're the talk. You don't need to get them all this they want to trust us they'll want to get out of there <laughs> I, I will say uh, i have a positive thing to say about this movie i mm-hmm. liked oscar isaac yes as yeah, the insurance uh, investigator who has his own sort of nefarious agenda he has a scene with julianne moore and a scene with matt damon that are like juicy sort of the kind of double indemnity 
you know, stuff that you would want in this kind of like insurance scam, you know, we're trying to pull off this murder scheme movie and it, it's over all too quickly. The Oscar Isaac and Julianne Moore scenes, I want to see that movie. Like, just give me a movie, not with all of these Coen Brothers sensibilities where it kind of has, like, this dark humor. Just give me some kind of, like, cool-ass, noirish type. Cat and mouse. Double indemnity type thing. Mm. I'm, I'm all for that. So when he showed up, I was like, yes. And then he goes away. And it was just bad. Or even just the way his character is handled. I was like, what is going on? That's when I was just like, it it, it felt like a bad carbon copy of a Coen Brothers. I was like, don't do this, dude. Yeah, you don't want to like try to go too close to what they do. But it's hard with when you're working with their script and their characters. Yeah. You know, he I've you got to get a different writer, you know, yeah. <laughs> you would, like it, he's so associated with them, um, with the Coen brothers that it's hard to dissociate from that stylistically. I think the, uh, the Meyer family who we're talking about is based on a real family in real life. Daisy Meyer was an educator and the father, an electrical engineer. Did you guys want to know more about the family? I mean, obviously, I've, 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 they're, 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 they, they should have reversed the plots. I say they're not really even characters here. I, I don't know that I, I felt like they were just like the black family, and yeah. that was pretty much their entire function in the film was to be the black family. Yeah, because it's nothing about them personally or how they respond to things. It's just them being the black family and how like that makes the rest of the suburb go bananas. They could be assholes. We don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> it would be great if we make found them assholes. Out. Right? They yeah. were just maybe, pieces of shit. Maybe he's maybe that guy's trying to murder his wife too. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be an interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> well, they never give him anything to say. He no. doesn't say anything. He mows the lawn and drives the car. <sighs> yeah. What movies about race would you say did work this year, Alonzo? I know you're going to say Boo Two. What else? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think Get Out is the movie that we're going to be talking about when people look at 2017 and race. Mm. That's the one that really, you know. And again, brilliantly hiding it in a in a tasty genre wrapper, but but no, that movie has a lot to say about about uh, you know. I, I was looking back at my review of it recently, and I said that in the same way that the Stepford Wives uh, exploits women's fear of men's fear of women, <laughs> Get Out exploits black people's fear of white people's fear of black people. It's <laughs> <laughs> a like lot that. of fear, mm, much. <laughs> Hell, I think even Girls Trip did a better job talking about race, you know? <laughs> that wasn't even explicitly about that, any kind of statement. It was just like... Well, that they're, they're, funny and Regina yeah. Hall has that great with scene agent. with yeah with the white agent basically saying like you you get to come on this trip and as a guest and behave yourself you know <laughs> and like don't don't unpack your like what you think are the you know expressions that you're allowed to say because you're not you know? yeah when you do films about race in the past it is real easy to excuse um, microaggressions and things that happen still today. Because they're like, oh, it's the same thing with sexism. Whenever you do a movie about, or a TV show, like Mad Men would always get in my nerves. It was just like, oh, it was so bad back then. But I'm like, it's bad. It's just different. <laughs> you know? And you're thinking, you're like, yeah, of course, well, maybe, you know, these black families that move in, like, their cars aren't getting burned, but they're not getting invited to fucking community events, you mm -hmm. know? Right. Or something like that. It's just like these weird things that keep happening. And so I, I do get a little bit frustrated when we have movies about race set in the past. Although I have to say D. Reese's Mudbound that's coming out this year, mm. um, it it handles that beautifully because it's an epic 
you know, story about yeah, yeah, definitely. race I mean, and war. The, and... Yeah, the, the, the kind of period piece that really gets on my nerves, uh, The Help, I think, being the most sort of notorious example. Oh, oh sure, This yeah. idea where the, you tell a story where the racists were so foaming at the mouth and terrible, and then there were the nice white people, so that white people now can watch those movies and go, oh, well. If I'd been around in 1962, I wouldn't have been one of those awful, obviously racist people. I would have been one of those nice, kind, white liberals or whatever. And it's like it ignores the fact that racism was so completely systemic and just so ingrained in the society that even if you were, by all accounts, a lovely, pleasant person, you were still steeped in a world of racism. Uh, and, and it was just – that was just – part of the air that you breathe. Yeah. But if you retell it to where it becomes like the mean people and the nice people, then that lets contemporary people off the hook into the their own uh, participation in a world of systemic racism and let them think, oh, well, I'd be one of the nice ones. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, Ira Madison wrote a great article uh, in the Daily Beast where he talks uh, about what we're saying here about how George Clooney just kind of just completely swings and misses on handling that subplot in the movie. I highly recommend that everybody goes to uh, to read that because he basically says uh, what, you, what you just said right there, uh, Alonzo. Two, two things before we wrap this up. Uh, Inku, who was just on our show, uh, she posted a question for us uh, on Twitter. What are Clooney's best, worst movies? Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is my favorite. Yeah, definitely. That's his best. And worst is... This one? It could be this one. <laughs> it's this one or Monuments Men. Mm, I like that you guys are keeping it just to director. I'm, I'm, I didn't, I didn't even. Oh, oh. Like, I, it's still hard for me to think of like George Clooney as a director. Oh, well, I'm just like, oh, you're trying that out. Best, oh, cool. Best, Keep on with best you. Best movie that he's in, I would say, is Out of Sight. My man. No question. No question. Uh, worst. Hmm. Oh. It's hard to say. I can't. I mean. Oh, wasn't there one? That's, that's the other thing, too. When he makes bad movies outside of this one, I just go, oh. They roll off him like yeah. a, like water off a duck's yeah, back. Yeah, but this one, I'm just like, nah, dude, don't. Yeah. Think, I think that his best might be like, oh, brother, where art, where art thou? Okay. Though. Or I actually, his character in Burn After Reading is fucking hilarious. His character, yes. All right, so what would you, what should we tell the people? I think they already know. Should they stream Suburbicon, screen Suburbicon, or skip Suburbicon? I mean, skip it, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Skip, skip Urbicon. (laughs) Skip skip Urbicon, yo. Mm -hmm. Skip Urbicon is what we all say. Yeah, it is a swing and a miss. Like, I'm still feeling the breeze (laughs) off of that. that uh, Oh, that man. Strong whiff of funk. All right, we're going to take a break, y'all. When we come back, we will be discussing just all of the horrible things that continue to happen in Hollywood. Thank you for listening to Who Shot You? I'm Hal Lublin. I'm Danielle Radford. I am Michael Eagle. And we are the hosts of Tights and Fights, Maximum Fun's newest podcast dedicated to all things wrestling. We'll be talking about Sasha Banks, the women's revolution, Sasha Banks, the brand split, and Sasha Banks' wigs. And we'll also be talking about wrestler fashion. Some wrestlers wear too many clothes. Some wrestlers don't wear enough clothes at all. And I'll be doing impressions of all your favorite wrestlers. New episodes Thursdays on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah, dig it. Tyson Bites Podcast. Tyson Bites. 
Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. With me, I have... Alonzo Duraldi. And April Wolf. Hey. Since it's important news this week, we're going to get everyone's reactions to the Kevin Spacey allegations. Alonzo, can you fill us in on the facts of the situation and tell us your thoughts on it? Oh, I enjoyed, God. <laughs> I enjoyed seeing you. Before we get into that, I just want to say I enjoyed seeing you on CNN and talking about it. That, that was, was fantastic. Cool. So yeah, forgive me if I'm if 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 you, if you saw me on CNN International or if you listened to this week's Pop Rocket. We've been talking about this all week, so <laughs> forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Um, so basically what happened, um, Anthony Rapp, the actor from uh, Rent and uh, uh, currently on Star Trek Discovery, gave an interview to Adam B. Vary at BuzzFeed where he talked about an encounter that he had had with Kevin Spacey back in 1986. Both of them were appearing in Broadway shows at the time. Rapp was 14. Spacey was 26, and uh, Rap had gone to a party at Spacey's apartment, um, you know, which apparently a lot of, you know, Broadway actors hang out together. It wasn't like this weird thing. But uh, Rap realized he was the only, person, the only young person at the party. He got kind of bored. He wandered into the bedroom and watched TV for a few hours. Later in the evening, Kevin Spacey shows up, stands in the doorway. Rap thinks, oh, geez, perhaps I should leave. But then Kevin Spacey apparently picks him up, places him on the bed, and tries to sort of climb on top of him. Rap was able to get away. He tells this story now. And um, within a few hours of the story going live Sunday night on BuzzFeed, Kevin Spacey puts out a statement uh, saying that he doesn't remember the event, but, you know, he doesn't doubt Anthony Rapp's account of it and that he was drinking and he's so apologetic about it. And, oh, P.S. I'm gay. Real quick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which. (sighs) Yeah. I think, you know, when marketers talk about terrible product launches in the future, (laughs) the launch of Kevin Spacey out gay man is going to rank as one of the worst because the timing in which he did it basically, A, tried to deflect the story from being about Anthony Rapp's very serious allegations of Kevin Spacey, you know, like sexually assaulting a minor. And B, uh, it is conflating in the minds of so many people uh, a lie that the gay communities had to fight against for eons, which is that all gay men are predatory pedophiles. And, you know, I'm sorry if you were drunk, Kevin Spacey, but that doesn't excuse your behavior. And to to after years of not only not coming out, but being hostile toward the question or being coy about it, like when he hosted the Tonys last year, to now suddenly take this moment of all moments to be like, oh, yes, I'm a gay man um, in an an attempt to get people to talk about anything but the fact that you've just been accused of, uh, you know, again, trying to put the moves on a minor is cynical and despicable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I will never say that I know what it is like to have to deal with the privacy of when or not someone wants to, to come out of the closet. Sure. Uh, but the way that he did there, I was just like, what are you, what, what are you doing, dude? Mm. That is not what this is about at all. Don't you? He had that, that statement talk? came out so fast. And I was yes. on Twitter and I was just like, that was pre-written. Like it came out, well, I think yeah. it was like in yeah. five, five minutes to an hour well, after. Well, Bu- BuzzFeed had been asking him for comment the whole time they were writing yeah. the story. They com- they contacted him on multiple occasions and he never responded. So yeah, they clearly had that thing locked and loaded. And you have to wonder, and this is pure conjecture on my part, but it what the timing of all this does make it look like is that he was holding that in reserve 
reserve on the off chance that this kind of accusation was going to come up yeah. to then unload it. I was just like, what is this? Just doesn't sound like somebody who is dealing with something in the moment. This sounds with somebody who is like, sounds like somebody who's like, okay, here's how I'm just going to deflect and keep pushing things away from me right now. But also, like, uh, I got to say, like, kudos to Anthony Rapp for for taking this chance. Yes. And and I know I know a lot of that has to be because he's on shows that are doing well. He has success. He's not as afraid probably of what the repercussions would be, you know, if he didn't have at least a semblance of power in this industry. Oh, God. But you're, but you're right, though. I mean, it does take people coming forward, and it's it's difficult, and it's hard, and, and we have a, a, a society and a media that is immediately disinclined to believe people when they mm-hmm. say this stuff or, you know, call into question their motivations and, and never the motivations of the attacker. Uh, I was heartbroken to read the Annabella Shora story this, from God. this past week about Harvey Weinstein having gone to her apartment and raped her, as she that she alleges, and, you know, she was an extraordinary actress and didn't feel comfortable talking to Ronan Farrow the first time around. But apparently after his story came out and the New York Times story came out, that she did finally feel comfortable in in coming forward to talk about this traumatic experience that she has suffered. And, um, yeah, it, it's it, it's it's got to be a, a hard thing to dredge that stuff up to make yourself vulnerable in the court of public opinion but i think that we're seeing just in the past couple of weeks the the huge impact that these kinds of revelations can have but i think that i mean i i do want to reiterate for people that it, when these allegations come out they are vetted legal teams at newspapers vet these things they will not let you publish something because yeah. it opens you up to lawsuits yeah, and that's but, like so if if something has gotten far enough to be published it is it is it's not hearsay it's not hearsay this is real stuff that we're talking yeah, in, about in the case of the anthony rap story they talked to several people over the years that he had told this story to like like back right not long after it happened uh, uh my old editor at the advocate bruce Steele, did an interview with anthony rap in 2001 and did not name kevin spacey at the time because the advocate had a very strict policy about not outing celebrities mm-hmm. which i uh, to my knowledge i think they probably still do um you know I, I mean, several of the people that were named in that story as people that Anthony Rapp has talked to about this over the years are people who are close friends of mine. Uh, Anthony Rapp, I have met on a few occasions, you know, professionally. He's, uh, he's great. I, you know, I don't think he could pick me out of a lineup, but we have very close <laughs> friends in common. And, and so I, I believe him. I certainly believe them. And, uh, you know, I think that this is a valid story. And Spacey isn't denying that it happened. He's he's giving us the I was drunk. I don't remember. Yeah. The whoopsie yeah. daisy. Yeah. Uh, well, as stories, more stories like this come out, we will continue to be talking about them and bringing them up. Uh, that is just the latest one. Yeah, is... there's three more today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let me at Dustin Hoffman. Just, oh, just, brother. You yeah. know, we'll do that on another one, but let me at <laughs> yeah. Dustin Hoffman. Go, go read Terry Garr's interview on avclub.com. Oh, it's so beautiful. Whoa. I love that. And that was like one of those interviews where I was just like, yes, yes, lady, I feel you. I've been feeling this. You know, why do people like him? Like, I refuse to watch the graduate on its anniversary. Mm. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I never thought I'd be at a point where I would hear, yo, Dustin Hoffman, fuck that guy, dude. <laughs> fuck that guy. But here we are, yo. 2017, yo. Here we are. <laughs> it's 2017, and it's, uh, hey, it's 2017 in the first week, the first weekend of November, which means that, ready or not, 
It's Christmas season, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just uh, the joy on Alonzo's face. <laughs> <laughs> and in honor of Christmas, we've got a fun new segment that we'll do every week leading up to the big day. Some of you may not know this, but Alonzo is an official Christmas movie expert. <laughs> He wrote a book about it, even. So this is a new segment is, uh, that I like to call Stump. Alonzo! <laughs> This is the first time I'm hearing about yeah, this. Uh, yeah, it oh, is. Oh, I'm being ambushed. I love it. <laughs> Here's how it's going to work, Alonzo. April and I will each, will each ask you a Christmas movie trivia question. Okay. The purpose of the game is to knock King Christmas, a.k.a. Alonzo, <laughs> King down a peg. King Christmas, son. King Christmas, yo. King Navidad. If you're going to call me that, I want a crown. <laughs> next, next week, crown up in here. Is he the Xmas expert he pretends to be? We'll find out. I'll go first, okay? Alonzo, I'm going to play you a short scene and okay. then ask you some questions about it. Okay. Uh, please, don't make any question please don't make any guesses until you're asked. Okay. okay? Here's the scene. I just need 10 minutes of your time. No, I'm not going to give you 10 seconds. Now, you beat it. 10 minutes, that's all I ask. I'll explain everything to you, and then it won't bother you anymore. Look, it's Christmas Eve, all right? Don't you have some place to be, family waiting for you or something? Here's your first question. Who are the actors in the scene you just heard? Is this uh, Alan Arkin and uh, Paul Walker from Noel? Boom, son. Yo, <laughs> King Christmas. King Christmas. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. The book, by the way, is Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. Now available. <laughs> Uh, I, I think we can consider this a bonus question then. Can you tell us anything interesting about the making of this film? Uh, There's no wrong answer here. Yeah, um, it, it was. Uh, it's directed by uh, Chaz Palminteri. Um, oh, okay. Not one of my favorites, uh, but he does tell a story about how they had to have snow for a scene, and they had brought in all the equipment, and they were all ready to fake it, and then just uh, as if on cue, it started snowing when they needed it. So. <laughs> Oh, it's a Christmas miracle. A Christmas miracle. <laughs> okay, uh, what's going to happen now is uh, we're going we're gonna to queue up another clip. We're going to play it for you. And then April is going to ask you uh, the remainder of these questions okay. here. Ready, April? Oh. This year, Christmas will be ours! Oh, my God. This is so easy. <laughs> um, what is the name of the film? I don't know. <laughs> That was one line. You know, didn't give me Can much you play to it again? With. Can you play it again? This year, Christmas will be ours! Oh, is it a Nightmare Before Christmas? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay, and then so what's the character's name? Jack Skellington. Okay, and then what's the actor's name? Chris Sarandon. <sighs> But Danny Sarandon. Elfman is the singing voice. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, um... You'll get another bonus point if okay. you can tell us something about this movie that um, that we don't already know. Um, well, it was directed by Henry Selleck, uh, who never gets his due credit because it's called Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And Selleck went on to direct Coraline, which is a really great movie. Coraline! Um, <laughs> and the, uh, the character of Oogie Boogie was designed <laughs> after... Um, Uh, the uh, oh, what's his face in, from the old uh, Betty Boop cartoons? Um, he's in the Blues Brothers. He sings Minnie the Moocher. I'm blanking on his name, but anyway, he's based on that guy. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. <laughs> Can I ask you another bonus question oh, sure. about yes. one of my favorite movies ever? Okay. 
Um, and jingle all the way. What is the, the toy that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son needs to have? Turbo Man. Yeah, it is. Aww. It is. It's Turbo Man. All right. Was, he is King Christmas. That was, that was, that was, that was a pretty easy one. I bring think. it, I guess, is what I meant. Okay, can I ask a bonus here. question then? Because now I feel like I got yeah, the do spirit. Yeah, okay. do it, do it, yeah. First, first part question. Do you consider Trading Places a Christmas movie? I do. Um, I didn't write about it extensively in the book because I watched it again. Okay. And I just found it really – it's it's super homophobic. It doesn't age thing. well. It doesn't age well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What is the item of food that Dan oh, Aykroyd puts inside? Oh, yeah, my man. <laughs> See? That's King Christmas, yo. That's King Christmas. Do you consider Die Hard a Christmas movie? Hells yeah. Okay, I just want, I needed I to mean, make sure. Yeah, no, I don't even understand that argument. I mean, because look, fine, it's, a, it's an action movie, but it is about an estranged husband and wife rekindling the magic of their marriage on Christmas Eve. That's beautiful. <laughs> also, there are terrorists. <laughs> that's, you know, that's every Christmas for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, we are all going to bow down to King Christmas here because he could have gotten seven points was the max that he could have gotten. We added bonus questions in there. Ten points! Thank you. Out of a max seven, my man still pulls out ten points. It's always best to become an expert in something that no one else wants to be an expert in. <laughs> <laughs> Advice for the kids out there. There you go. Find that niche, guys. <laughs> if you want to stump Alonzo with a Christmas movie question, shoot us an email at whoshotyapod at gmail.com. Oh, this is going to get ugly now. Oh, yeah. Man, that's, man, I'm very, and you didn't think about the salmon. You, boom. <laughs> you knew right away, son. That's what's up. That's what's up. Uh, okay, how, before we leave now, we're going to give you some staff picks, staff picks for people to, uh, to check out at home. April, what do you got for us? Um, it's a little movie from Catherine Diekman, who um, you may remember from Pete and Pete's Adventure. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, she was the director on, on that, and now she has this movie that's on Netflix called Strange Weather, starring Holly Hunter and Carrie Coont, and it's... Um, Carrie Coon? Is that what yeah. you said? I'm sorry. Yeah, Carrie Coon and yes. um, Holly Hunter, and it's just so good. Um, and it, Holly Hunter gets to do, you know, a tour de force performance <laughs> because she's she's like she's happy one minute, she's sad another, she's angry, she might kill someone, and um and also like the atmosphere, it's kind of like set in this southern town where there's like lightning, kind of um like it's a like electrical storms. Do you guys know? Did you guys ever have electrical storms growing sure, yeah. up? Right, I've seen them in movies. So you know, it's just like there's a lot of atmosphere happening, and you can tell that you know like something's gonna break and and uh she's trying to avenge her dead son and it's it's a road trip movie as well it's really fascinating i love it but holly hunter is so good in this movie okay. strange weather okay. any movie that gives holly hunter real estate i'm down oh my god her muscles are so good she's <laughs> <laughs> like her muscle tone in her arms like the whole time i was just like what <laughs> Alonzo. Well, since it is officially the Christmas season, uh, I'm going to recommend November 1st. it is November 1st. But look, that is the day that my iTunes switches over. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know. It's not for everyone. I wear earbuds. I'm very oh. I'm very tolerant about people not wanting to hear a damn bit of my Christmas music. Anyway, um, currently in theaters is A Bad Mom's Christmas, which is a really fun <laughs> sequel 
to last year's Bad Moms, and uh, or two years ago, whenever the hell the, the first Bad Moms came out. Um, this one, we uh, we add a new layer of the Moms Moms. So now we've got, uh, in addition to Mila Kunis, Kristen Bell, and Catherine Hahn, we've got Christine Baranski, uh, Cheryl Hines, and Susan Sarandon. It's quite funny. It gets a lot of the sort of Christmas bloat right in terms of just kind of making fun of how excessive people can get with that kind of stuff. Um, and based on the trailer that I saw for Daddy's Home 2, I think it's going to be a much more fun version of that same story. Also, like Mel, Mel Gibson doesn't show up and in this way, through. no, thankfully. Okay. And Christine Baranski is hilarious. Like, if it's super rare that comedies get. Oscar nominations and certainly uh, movies called A Bad Mom's Christmas will not <laughs> get Oscar nominations, but Christine Baranski should, in a just world, be in the running for one because she's hysterical. Alonzo, okay. you have lived up to the joy <laughs> that Laura said, our producer Laura said, you were going to have when we started this uh, <laughs> this Christmas thing. I'm never going to look at Christmas the same way. <laughs> I'm not You're ready welcome. to look at Christmas yet. That was my thing. I was like, it's November 1st. You don't got it. Starting no no I have to Alonzo well, every, true. I every guess, week I have to do I, this I'm now. making you I'm every sorry every week I have to do this I'm excited like... I'm gonna stump you I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do research on my <laughs> own too just just in case what's your pick Rick uh, my pick this week is a movie we were talking about earlier Out of Sight mm. I feel like people sleep on Out of Sight and it is just such a great movie it's like a fun movie too like people were saying like. Uh, when Ocean's Level, Ocean's Eleven came out, like, oh, here's Soderbergh having fun. I was like, did you guys not see Out of Sight? Because that movie's fun as hell. It's got uh, a great soundtrack. The Isley Brothers in it. Uh, Don Cheadle plays an evil son of a bitch in it. George Clooney. That was when I think that was the first time I realized like this dude's this dude's a movie star. Clo- I saw. Sorry. You know, I was like, Clooney and J Lo are like the sexiest couple of the light, <laughs> the late twentieth century, early twentieth first century in that movie. Those are the scene of them in the trunk, mm-hmm. and then the scene in where, the hotel bar. Oh, I mean, <sighs> come on now, come on now. Uh, so out of sight, it's streaming on Showtime right now, but you can get it on iTunes and all those other fancy electronic devices you have. Thank you very much for listening to our episode the movie that we were not fans of Suburbicon <laughs> uh, oh, was that this episode I already forgot about it <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. this is a million years <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening thank you to everybody who's been going on iTunes and uh, giving us five star reviews hooray yes thank you much appreciated if you like what you're hearing and want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, please continue to do so. Shout out to Goodbye Bear, who, quote, thinks this podcast is dope. Thank you, sir. Thank yes. you. Or ma'am. I don't want to say that that is that's dude. You know? uh, also, sh- shout out to Sketchy TK. Such great positive energy and joy. I love you, Ricky. Well, I love you, TK. And I work with somebody, TK. So I hope <laughs> that this is the same person. <laughs> you got enough love in you for more than one. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be talking about Thor Ragnarok. For those about to Ragnarok, we salute you. If you want to leave us any personalized movie recommendations, you can tweet us at WhoShotYouPod, or you can send us an email at WhoShotYou at MaximumFun.org. Thank you, April, very much for being here. Thank you, Ricky. Alonzo, my man. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Uh, shout out to our producer Casey O'Brien our senior producer is Laura Swisher this has been a production of MaximumFun.org and that's what's up 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.